Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 American farmers raise the alarm on China buying U.S. farmland. China doesn't have to use force against foreign powers. They can just throw a lot of money at them and then get what they want. AOC rails against the Supreme Court and accuses Justice Clarence Thomas of disrespecting Justice Brown Jackson. And what I think is even the critics will be surprised at how often he rules in favor of the little guy. Elon Musk announces temporary read limits on Twitter. Musk says this will help with extreme levels of data scraping. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, July 3rd. I'm Mike Scott. American farmers across the country are sounding alarms over what they believe is the invasion of the U.S. by China through buying up American farmland. Chinese-owned companies have been purchasing large swaths of rural farmland in states like Oklahoma, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Virginia for years. And according to 2021 data from the Department of Agriculture, it shows that China controls about 383,000 acres of U.S. farmland. John Boyd Jr. is head of the National Black Farmers Association and says that many of the farms that China owns are near U.S. military bases. China is quietly buying up uh, many, many acres and farms in rural America. And I've been trying to ring the alarm bell about this. And uh, as that report showed uh, how China is setting up uh, companies uh, to to build plants um, next to uh, military bases uh, to tap into our, our nation's infrastructure. And this administration seems to be asleep at the wheel here. Boyd believes that something has to be done about foreign governments buying up U.S. farmland. Something is terribly wrong with this, and this administration, the Biden administration, again, is asleep at the wheel, and they're not taking an aggressive approach uh, to take on China. And we really need someone in the White House uh, that's going to have the tenacity and the whereabouts to take on China. The head of the MBFA stresses that America should be in control of our own lands that provide food security. They're tapping into the American food structure in this country. And we should be looking at that as as food security people because they're tapping into American farms and tapping into uh, the hog industry. All of these industries that China is quietly taking over here in the United States, and we're not aggressively uh, uh, taking on some sort of campaign to stop it. Brandon Weikart is author of Biohacked, China's race to control life and join Julie Hartman on the Salem Podcast Network saying China has a unique way of growing their sphere of influence 
around the world. I do think we need to keep in mind that China really has learned at our feet even things that we have sort of forgotten. Um, and what they're very good at is they don't have to use military force to threaten and cajole countries to do what they want. They can buy them off. And it's a, it turns out a much better way of doing business because we see when the Americans use force, even if it's for a righteous cause, we're going to end up alienating people because people don't like that we're using force. China doesn't have to use force against foreign powers. They can just throw a lot of money at them and then get what they want. And then it looks like everybody's winning. Weikar believes that China is more interested in beating America through strategy. So and then you shift uh, you know, influence and you shift power away from the existing order, the American-led order, and you quietly over many decades shift it toward China. And this is sort of the, the Chinese uh, all warfare is deception, Sun Tzu mentality, warfare through other means, beating the Americans strategically without engaging them militarily because why would you want to? The biohacked author points out what could happen if the U.S., doesn't start dealing with Chinese aggression. You know, we spent an insane amount of money on the Middle East over the last 20 years and a lot of blood. And what do we have for, what do we have to show for it? We're losing categorically across the board in every part of that region we are losing and the Chinese are the ones who are picking up the pieces. And that's what's going on in places like Africa, it's going on in South Asia, it's going on in Europe, it's going on in our own backyard in Latin America. And one day, like an old game of Go, we may wake, our, wake up and find ourselves totally surrounded, if not directly by China, then by Chinese allies who are not going to let us have breathing room. When it comes to Donald Trump, Weikart says there's one reason why the former president was such a strong leader against China. I think it was the fact that he was unpredictable. Um, he's a kinetic operator. And this is also his greatest weakness, though, also, is that he's not a planner. So he doesn't, I mean, you know, it's just sort of he's like America's id. He just sort of just goes with it. Um, and what that what that does, though, is it makes it very difficult for centrally planned systems to react uh, in a sort of reliable way that would benefit them. So they tend to be more conservative with a lowercase c. Uh, they tend to be more conservative in their grand strategies when someone like that is in the White House. Back in May, a bipartisan coalition of Republicans and Democrats who were concerned with China's interest in U.S. farms introduced a bill that would block foreign adversaries like China from buying U.S. farmland. The bill would block similar purchases out of Iran, North Korea, and Russia, and prohibit actors associated with the oppressive regimes from participating in certain programs tied to the USDA. According to Congress's legislative process tracker, a summary of the bill remains in committee. Police are asking for tips about a mass shooting in Baltimore, Maryland that left two people dead and 28 others wounded. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker has more on this developing story. 
It happened at a block party in the Brooklyn Homes neighborhood, says Acting Police Commissioner Richard Worley. Our detectives are currently working an extensive crime scene. An 18-year-old woman and a 20-year-old man were killed. Our hearts and prayers are going out to the families. Audio courtesy WMAR, Lakel Nelson says she heard the gunshots, saw people running. One girl, the one that was really shot several places. So she drove her to the hospital. She was screaming and it, it was hurting her so bad. I'm Julie Walker. The nation's highest court released a batch of rulings striking down affirmative action in colleges, bolstering religious liberty and rejecting President Joe Biden's student loan relief program crafted out of the executive branch. In the wake of those decisions, Democrat Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez accused African-American Justice Clarence Thomas of disrespecting his black colleague, Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson, in his written opinion on affirmative action on the college campus. What Justice Clarence Thomas wrote, I, I just think it was profoundly disrespectful to his colleague. And I think that he really demonstrated his character, uh, frankly, and, and his worldview in that critique himself. Ocasio-Cortez also called on President Biden to expand the court to 13 justices, something the president has said he is unwilling to attempt. This all comes as the Supreme Court justices seem to be the increasing target of many attacks in the media, many calling into question their impartiality in favor of the law and instead accusing them of taking bribes. No one on the nation's highest court has seemed to be a target of the mainstream media as much as Justice Clarence Thomas. Judge Amal Thupar sits on the Sixth Circuit of the U.S. Court of Appeals and was President Trump's first appellate nominee. He joined the Daybreak Insider podcast to discuss the recent Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action on the college campus and to discuss his new book, the People's Justice, Clarence Thomas, and the constitutional stories that define him. The important thing about the affirmative action case, if you look at Chapter 3 of the book, it talks about the Grutter case. And what the Grutter case was about and what the Supreme Court held in Grutter is that affirmative action could be a plus factor. In other words, you can consider a person's race as a plus, but they hoped it would only happen for 25 years. That was in 2003. And Justice Kavanaugh and his concurrence lays that out. When you focus on Justice Thomas, he's been warning about the perils of affirmative action throughout his career. And the important thing to him is he truly believes that black citizens, just like all citizens, can accomplish anything when they're challenged. And he points out that the the very rationale for affirmative action could lead back to segregation. So what did Justice Thomas mean by believing affirmative action could lead to segregation. He pointed out in his most recent concurrence is his unfortunate belief had come somewhat true in that if you look at, and he quotes this, 43% of colleges now offer segregated housing, 46% offered segregated orientation programs, and 72% sponsored segregated graduation ceremonies. 
In addition to that, he champions historically black colleges, and he, he believes you don't need someone of a different race sitting next to you to succeed. He points out that while Morehouse, in the Grutter case, he pointed it out, that Morehouse had 0.1 to 0.2 percent of other races, yet produced some of the most successful black Americans in the history of our country. In fact, he points out in his most recent concurrence that historically black colleges have produced 40% of all black engineers, 80% of all black judges, 50% of all black doctors, and 50% of all black lawyers. Prior to the court's ruling, nine states had already banned affirmative action on the college campus. Is there any data to show how schools have been impacted? In Chapter 3 of the book, the Michigan case, as I mentioned, that was being reviewed now, went to the Supreme Court in 2003, and they upheld the plus factor. But the people of Michigan passed a referendum for a law saying you could no longer consider affirmative action. And as I note in Chapter 3 of the book, um, without affirmative action, the Michigan schools were touting on their website that they were the most diverse ever. Moving on to your book, Justice Thomas is an originalist. Describe for our listeners what originalism is. So originalists believe that the American people, not nine unelected judges, are the source of the law that governs the Constitution and the statutes enacted by our elected representatives. And the judge's role is to determine what the words of those documents meant when they were enacted, and to apply them to the cases in front of him or her, nothing more, nothing less. So an example I always use is imagine you and I make a contract. When we make a contract, we reflect the agreement in the written words of the contract. If, if we have a disagreement, it's not for the judge to tell us what's best. It's for the judge to interpret what we've meant by the words in the document. The Constitution is a contract. It governs those who govern us. So the citizens usually, unless they're in the military or government, don't take an oath to the Constitution. Only the people governing take an oath to the Constitution. And that is binding on them. And so they have to follow the terms of that Constitution. And that's what the court's role is, is to interpret it. In your studies, what have you learned from Justice Clarence Thomas? When the Federalists were pushing the Constitution through, the Anti-Federalists, who people often call the losers, but that's not necessarily true when you talk about the Bill of Rights, because they're really made any support of the Federalist constitutional project contingent on a Bill of Rights. And the number one right that they talked about often in those papers was the right of conscience, that government could not tell you how to think and that you had to have a right to object to what your government was doing. And that was enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution. And so I think it's important when we think about these things that we go back to those founding documents and we read about that debate and we understand how important that debate was to the very founding of our country. And I don't think if you talk to most Americans, the last thing they want, I think, is the government telling them how to think or what to think. With the Supreme Court under fire from the mainstream media and others, in your opinion, what do critics of Justice Thomas get wrong? You know, 
Justice Thomas never forgets about the real people in front of him. And that's what this book demonstrates. For example, Kathy McKee, who's ra- who alleges she was raped by Bill Cosby, brought a lawsuit because when she made those allegations, she felt like Bill Cosby and his lawyers lied about her in the press and maligned her and defamed her. And yet, because of a case that existed, she couldn't bring her lawsuit because she had accused a powerful man of rape. She became a public figure. And that meant her standard was, as Justice Thomas says, almost impossible to prove. Justice Thomas has consistently been the one justice that has been willing to revisit that standard in New York Times v. Sullivan. What's amazing about him is two years after her case, in a separate case, he referenced her inability to sue. And then just this week, he again cited her case to point out that people like her should be able to sue if they are defamed and should not be prohibited from doing so, to quote him, solely because she accused a powerful man of rape. And so it's interesting that those stories you never hear about, nor do you hear about the real stories about Justice Thomas himself, the man the kindness he exhibits, that even when his critics meet him, they, they like him personally. If there was one thing that you wish people could know about Justice Clarence Thomas, what would it be? The one thing I wish they knew about Justice Thomas is just how dedicated a public servant he is. I think when you read The People's Justice, you'll see firsthand, because I don't except for the introduction and conclusion where I lay what I believe on the table that I too am an originalist, everything in between is the stories of the cases. And I let the reader decide for themselves. And what I think is even the critics will be surprised if they're willing to give it an honest read and reassess their priors, because they'll be shocked at how often he rules in favor of the little guy because the law compels it. They'll be shocked at how often he rules against corporations because the law compels it. And they might be shocked by how often he rules against the government because the law compels it. A poll released Sunday by ABC News shows that a majority of Americans, about 52 percent, approved of the decision ending affirmative action on the college campus. The Daybreak Insider would like to thank Judge Thapar for joining us. To purchase his new book, The People's Justice, go to regnery.com or amazon.com. Elon Musk on Saturday imposed severe Twitter rate limits, restricting how many tweets that users can view in a day. Many Twitter users reported problems accessing the site today after Elon Musk said he's putting a limit on the number of tweets users can read per day. In a tweet, he said verified accounts are limited to 6,000 posts per day, unverified can view 600 per day, and new unverified accounts can view 300 per day. And about two hours later, well, he said they increased to 8,800 and 400, respectively. As of about two hours ago, the limits stand at 10,000. 1,500 per day. Hope you're keeping up with those numbers. Musk says this will help with extreme levels of data scraping and system manipulation. The Tesla CEO paid $44 billion for Twitter last year. He says he's issuing temporary limits 
because of extreme system manipulation and data scraping. Data scraping is when a person, or in this case, AI, pulls information out of a website and into a spreadsheet. Musk alleged that artificial intelligence firms are scraping the site for data to train chatbots free. Musk has not indicated when the limits may end. West Hollywood now has the highest minimum wage of any U.S. city. We get more on this from our Daybreak insider Ron DeRoxtra, who's looked at the numbers. Pay zoomed $19.08 an hour Saturday, and that has employers grumbling about growing labor costs, they say, could drive them out of business. Other cities that saw pay bumps, San Francisco up more than a dollar to $18.07 an hour. L.A. is now sixteen seventy-eight, while Washington, D.C. workers will get $17. Hotel workers in Santa Monica, California, and some hotel workers in Los Angeles saw their minimum pay climb to $19.73. Rhonda Rockster reporting. And finally, on the eve of the 4th of July, a new Gallup poll shows there is a historically low number of U.S. adults who describe themselves as proud to be an American. The poll suggests that 39% of adults expressed extreme pride in America, only one percentage point higher than 2022's record low number. Gallup first asked the question in 2001, growing as high as 65% to 70% in the years following the 9-11 attacks. Many social experts believe that this is largely due to schools withholding lessons that teach about all the good things that America's founding did, not just for the country itself, but what it meant as a beacon of freedom around the world. But British journalist Paul Johnson, author of the book George Washington, the Founding Father, joined the Salem Radio Network and says that America's history is particularly unique and inspiring. I think America has been a very lucky country, uh, both in the country that God gave them uh, and the men God gave them when they were founded. But above all, I think they were lucky in Washington. And I don't think there can have been many men in world history who both proved themselves to be a first-class general and then a first-class statesman. Johnson describes what King George III thought of George Washington after America had won its independence. Curiously enough, uh, when he had rendered all his services as a general and proposed to return to his estates, uh, his old enemy, George III, said uh, to the president of the Royal Academy, who was an American, um, what do you think General Washington will do now? Uh, and the president of the academy said, he will, sir, he will return to his estates. And uh, George III said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man alive. Because the equivalent in English history, Oliver Cromwell, had gone on to become a kind of military dictator. Uh, 
George Washington was too humble and too constitutional-minded to do that. He returned to his estates and waited to be summoned by Congress. However, Johnson reveals that not everyone in Washington's inner circle thought of the general as a great hero. Those closest to him, particularly those who fought with him in the war, thought he was a very great man. They were very clear on that. Uh, that he was a good man and a great man and a very intelligent man. Others, such as his vice president, John Adams, underrated him. Adams thought he was um, a very foolish fellow who'd been extremely lucky and uh, had managed to survive more by bluff uh, than by uh, uh, great intelligence or ability. And he tended to ridicule him and so forth. Johnson goes on to say that ultimately... Washington was a great man, both historically and even in his own day. The truth of the matter is um, he was a man of very great ability. He had a library of 750 books, which was quite a lot for those days, and um, I think he'd read most of them. He'd certainly consulted all of them. We here at the Daybreak Insider Podcast wish you and yours a wonderful and safe 4th of July celebration. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott.